It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week I'm here with the AJC's Stephanie Toon. Welcome. Thank you, Shane. Good to see you. It's good to see you. And uh, we're here, actually, to talk about Afropunk, which is happening this weekend, uh, the 12th and 13th, I believe, of October, right? That is correct. Um, Very happening event. Um, It's been around since 2005. Started in Brooklyn, uh, just really uh, the best of the best of the alternative R&B and hip-hop scene. Right, right. So it's been it's been around since 2005 in Brooklyn. There's also, like, I believe some worldwide festivals now. Yes, yes. London. Um, yeah, definitely outside of uh, the main the main festival now right. so it's it's gone really far and of course with it having such a world view a lot of the artists are international so it right. makes sense that they have put their footprint outside of america so it's a pretty cool lineup and it's it's two days of uh of stuff and and uh, yeah. there's some great music going on there yeah um there's even like a battle of the bands which gives some folks that aren't you know big marquee names an opportunity to perform and and have kind of a like a the voice type of like right you know competition and um, a lot of folks that um, specifically Earth Gang who is like a group that folks are really excited about they've been compared to Outkast and they're mm. out of Atlanta cool. they will be performing uh, so that will be exciting to have that hometown presence so outside of them Anderson Pack um, uh, Fever three 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 FK a twigs uh sir a lot of folks are really excited about sir so just that Mm -hmm. that every every music lover in the millennial phase of their life slash hip-hop r&b folks um this is really a a show for them that's going to be huge for atlanta this weekend right but also i mean there's some stuff that i think uh, even older folks might be interested in like Brittany howard Oh yes, I, think, I uh, love her, and yeah, and I love her new gospel um, album she came out with. So yeah, she's uh, if you don't know, she's the uh, lead singer of Alabama Shakes. Mm-hmm. Um, her new solo album is is getting rave reviews. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. apparently her solo shows she's done have been amazing as mm-hmm. well. That's true. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's so, yeah. that's probably something a lot of people are. 
Yeah, folks are excited about her. For sure. yeah. yeah. But in addition to the music, they have other stuff going on there too, don't they? Right. Yeah. It's a there's a like a marketplace again in that whole spirit of like um, focusing on like the underground, the the folks that are um, just becoming huge. Um, that's right. the same thing with the the artisan element of the show right. or of the uh, festival. So it's really going to be a, a an opportunity for 30 plus collection of vendors uh, do-it-yourself products jewelry natural beauty products so definitely in the vein of like when you think of afropunk and folks that are right. in touch with earth and, right. and natural things that's exactly what the the spendthrift market is going to be looking right. like for folks so and all of this is happening where at 787 windsor shane it's an event space um you know i don't think there's anything regularly happening there they they, they bring in events and things like that mm-hmm. uh things happening there uh mm-hmm. quite often right. uh but this the festival will be taking place there it's a rain or shine event and all of that mm-hmm. um and what about uh tickets do we tickets know? are uh 50 to 90 dollars depending on what your um what you're you're trying to do so individual right. day tickets fifty dollars and then for the weekend ninety dollars so not right. bad considering the lineup and yeah it's and a pretty what, extensive what lineup to see. yeah, yeah there's tons <laughs> right. of stuff going on mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's a pretty pretty good deal for right. for all of that yeah. and you got to speak with one of the founders of the festival right yes I got to speak with Matthew Morgan about like the history of this amazing festival and that international imprint that they're beginning to make and you know what's special about it being in it. So uh, definitely a great conversation. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for uh, bringing this to us, Stephanie. Sure. No, no, no doubt. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. And uh, check out the Afropunk Festival um, online. We'll have some more info at AJC.com as well. All right. Here with Matthew Morgan, CEO of Afropunk. Thank you for speaking to us today. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Afropunk, this huge animal of a creative collective. You know, there's there's art, there's music. Obviously, the main piece of it is music. Um, so, when you conceptualize this, um, why did you deem it necessary to introduce, as you guys describe it, as a creative collective devoted to the African spirit? Why was it necessary? Um, I grew up in the UK, in London, in East London. I was born in East London. And um, although my environment as a child was very black, because I grew up in a very black neighborhood in the 70s called Stoke Newington, we were only 1.2 million black people in the, in the UK. and. Being socialized in that environment in predominantly white spaces is just what you grow up with. The illusion of integration is very different um, in the UK, and it was very different than it is now. And on coming to the US, and in particular Brooklyn, I remember one of my first weekends at uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, BAM, and they have this festival, African Day Festival. and. Um, I remember sitting on the sidewalk with a friend and opposite me was my favorite hip-hop band, still my favorite hip-hop band, Dead Prez, um, selling vegan food and treats. And 
smelling incense in the air. And just this, uh, an amazing celebration of blackness. And in particular, uh, because it was, it's, it's their African Day Festival, it's, uh, it's uh, a focus on, on Africa and the diaspora. Um, and that was really my kind of journey into knowing what I was missing. We hadn't gotten to Afropunk yet. We were a couple of years away from Afropunk, but it planted the seed for me as to how we could come together in a way that I wasn't used to. I mean, we have carnival in the UK once a year, but it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. You go back to your, your neighborhoods. Um, and then, the, you know, the following years as I, because uh, at that point I wasn't living in, in the US. Um, I came a year or so after. And that evolution was working with black alternative acts that didn't have a home. So what were some of those acts that initially came to mind for you when you oh, wow. developed I mean, at that time I was managing, I was managing acts before okay. the documentary, um, the Afropunk documentary, mm -hmm. I was managing acts. Santi Gold, who right. was in a, 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 a punk band mm -hmm. called Stift, okay. um, who actually, I always credit Santi for leading me to Afropunk. Mm. Um, a young lady called Cree Summer, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cree Summer had one of my still one of my favorite records and still one of my favorite female performers. She had a record called Street Fairy, and we had started working together. And um, was working, Shanti was working on with Doc McKenney, and I started working with Doc McKenney, who produced the Reese album. Okay. So there were a bunch of alternative thinking black musicians acts around that time that I was directly working with and the abundance of other acts that we were looking at to connect and then Afropunk as a, a, a as the film and the idea came along and I kind of married those things together through necessity to be honest right so the the film itself was the launching pad for the for the festival absolutely um, we, we started with the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Academy of Music uh, at BAM, and that came from doing some successful screenings at BAM, and then me having the idea to start a festival, because um, I wasn't in the movie business, I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. movies, and I, I got thrust into it, um, through necessity really not not necessarily mine at the time but it, it was I had these group of acts along came this idea for the film and I married those two things together and it was simple back back then it was we believed that you know we know that we are not a monolith and that it was about connecting the dots we I, I wanted to sell records I wanted to get my act signed and I believed that if we connected the dots, there were enough of us to be able to self-sustain. And then the film came along and that gave another opportunity to put those things together.
So from that point of the film and connecting the dots, mm -hmm. um, what sort of you know started in Brooklyn, what would you say were the keys to these dots connecting and, and growing and multiplying? Well, the Brooklyn Academy of Music w w was the place that we started and then we took the event out because initially we were in the cafe, which for a couple of hundred um, excited, youthful, exuberant, <laughs> young folks into uh, punk rock, it was quite a confining space. It right. was, we, we loved the space. I, I, I remember it really well, but it was a bit much for, for BAM. So we ended up taking the festival out and hitting clubs locally. Mm -hmm. um, we ended up going back to BAM because some of the clubs that we were in were a little restrictive and they weren't all ages and we wanted to be in all ages spaces. It was extremely important. Um, so we went back to BAM and we, we, we ended up in the parking lot, which was the beginning of a very long, arduous process of figuring out, you know, how we develop an audience, how we pay for things when where there is no economic model. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, how we get better at looking after and supporting the acts from a production perspective and equipment perspective. It was very, very easy when we started doing small events and acts would drive across the country for fifty dollars and and lug their gear around because they just wanted to play and it you know keeping that aspect of it while supporting black businesses because they're all black businesses in my eyes exactly. um became an interesting challenge and we've been trying to figure out for the, that for the last 15 years okay so what what has been the formula to really make that impact where you know you're keeping this thriving but also supporting these little pockets of businesses from the musicians to the creatives that are involved it's been um, it's been a, a, it's been a, a, a process of what seemingly were failures that then resulted in um, being able to sustain. So when we went from being free, as an example, which we got quite a lot of backlash mm -hmm. about. Um, and I, 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 I say to people, we were never free. Mm -hmm. I just didn't pass on the cost. <laughs> <Charge. Yeah. laughs> you know? But they literally they came, to, they came a point around 2014 after um, Irene hit New York and um, mm -hmm. Jocelyn and I, Jocelyn's my business partner and my life partner, we lost more money than we ever had, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> right? Because that was our kind of coming out year and we'd, I remember we'd booked Santi and Jim Class Hero and CeeLo mm -hmm. and we'd never booked bigger acts like that before. Right. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of bigging, bring, booking those bigger acts were to attract more young black kids. You know, there's there's been criticism bet between what's punk rock and um, what's mainstream, and some of the punk kids have felt left behind. And I understand that. And as a pref as a personal preference, I personally like a club with 200 kids with some music you can fight to. <laughs> okay. That's my personal preference. <laughs> but I think 
the work that we do that affects young black lives is more important to get to kids that wouldn't ordinarily necessarily get to those shows. So if I can get to them through acts that they associate with, that's the route that I've chosen, rightfully or wrongfully. Mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been a conscious decision. Um, so once we kind of, you know, the acts, we wanted, we had an aspiration to put on bigger acts. And that's also a personal thing, you know, as a black promoter for a long time and still probably, um, there are criticisms around black promoters, which is why a lot of people don't know in the business of music, which is seemingly quite diverse, there are very, very, very few black promoters. There are very few uh, black promoters that have black festivals. Mm -hmm. um, and we wanted to be our best selves. You know, we wanted to be able to make the best for, for our audience, for our community. And that meant going from a free model where we would have gone away to a paid model um, that thankfully we were able to do because of the administration in New York that doesn't allow uh, public-private events, but we were able to work a situation out with them where uh, a, a significant portion of our audience, which we still do, volunteer in order to earn a ticket mm -hmm. and we were able to sell a proportion of a portion of those tickets so we could sustain and and carry on because we were literally we were over in 2015. Oh, wow. So shortly thereafter Atlanta came along so why Atlanta and what how did that come about that we were one of the cities on the list to to grow this I mean collective in I think 2012, I was working with a producer called Rashad Smith. And Rashad had moved down here. And I came for the first time to Atlanta. And I remember vividly standing, which may have been on Peachtree somewhere, thinking I was in black heaven. <laughs> uh, I. I it was the, the cars, the, the, just the people, um, the restaurants. I think I may have been at, um, is it Gloria's? On pitch, what's the, oh, which artist opposite the Fox Theatre? Oh. oh, I don't know the there's name a, there's of that a, There's an artist that, that has a restaurant, soul food restaurant over there. Mm -hmm. And it was just phenomenal to me. Oh, you're thinking of Gladys Knight Chicken yeah. and Waffles, which yeah. no longer exists. Oh, it's not there anymore? Unfortunately, no. But that was the signature place to go before. Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, that had that had a, mm -hmm. a real impact because, again, I didn't really grow up right. in the same environment, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Atlanta's the gateway to the South for me. It's also a place where alternative black music, alternative black hip-hop, alternative black mainstream music has been created forever. Um, just the most amazing musicians and creative individuals. There's something in the water down here that allows for this 
black creativity to thrive in a way that it doesn't anywhere else. I mean, it, it exists in other places in different form, but there's been an expression here that's very much outside the box and consistently through different genres of music. So when we started talking about um, moving outside of New York, Atlanta was, was always the obvious choice. And I've since, I always say if I moved out of uh, New York, if I moved out of Brooklyn, the only place that I would move to uh, in the US would be, would be Atlanta. That says a lot. So with, with that automatic, like you said, that culture already being there for alternative black music, uh, what, how would you characterize what's specific about Afropunk in Atlanta compared to Paris, London, the hometown of it, Brooklyn? What, what is the energy? Well, what, how would you? We do, it's, a, it's, it's a little freakier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a little freakier. But, I mean, in, in, in the best possible sense. But we call Atlanta is the carnival of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and that's expressed through... The, the concept, that, uh, it's actually evolved, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit of what Brazil has done to, to change that conceptually for me. But, you know, the, the, from inception, the idea that we would conduct festivals in environments that would not have a traditional festival, you know, the festival that people have come to understand, whether they've been there or not, like a Coachella is on a beautiful polo field, mm -hmm. you know, they're out of town destinations and beautiful. But for me, as a kid that grew up in, you know, your version of the projects, uh, we call them council flats, in, in housing, I couldn't get to some field somewhere where a festival, where Glastonbury was, was happening. It wasn't even something that I thought about. So the reason being in Atlanta and being in this environment where we are in the city is access to our people, access to our community, so they don't have to uh, go far right. outside of not only their comfort zone, but also economically to get to places. Um, so we stumbled across these, this site and just thought it was phenomenal. And subsequently since, not only for the staff, but for a lot of people, and we do have quite a lot of people that travel around with us, this is one of their favorite sites. It takes on a life of its own at night because of the buildings, because of the industrial nature, and it truly is the city. And it's a part of the city which would never have seen a festival um, until we, we came here, which is true of most of our sites. But the difference is we came with the intention to marry conversation. It's when we first started bringing in in introducing, introducing our solution sessions format, which are talks based on solutions. Rather than talking about the problems, of which we have many, we try to bring people in that have solutions to problems that we can support. Um, 
and we wanted to do it in a, a carnival type atmosphere. I'm West Indian, carnival is at the core. Um, as I mentioned, I've subsequently been to carnival in Brazil and in Bahia particularly, which I don't know if you know, is 90% black. Um, it's, it's the most incredible city. Um, it's my new home, future okay. home. Okay. So I may not be coming to Atlanta uh, to retire. We got, uh, we got <laughs> you know, I've lost me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did get trumped, you're right. Um, but I've learned a lot about the carnival and the spirituality that exists around the Bahian culture and the Brazilian culture of carnival. Um, so now it has even more meaning to me and that will start to even be infused into kind of how we see Carnival of Consciousness expanding in Atlanta. Well, thank you, Matthew. Pleasure thank to you. have spoken with you. Appreciate you. Thank Take you for your time.